0: Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 153. Okay, so no more Gamergate stuff, back to normal. I have no idea where to start this week, so maybe I'll play a clip from uh, last night's Real Time with Bill Maher. It's um, Saturday as I'm recording this. Just a little bit from the monologue. I hope HBO doesn't mind.
1: Anyway, so. <laughs> Another declared candidate, Mike Huckabee, had a rough week. Mike Huckabee last week was defending his friendship with the child molester, Josh Duggar. Mike's now being asked about the fact that the guy who co-wrote his book, you know, they all have a campaign book. His is called Character Makes a Difference. (laughs) The guy who co-wrote it with him, he's facing two lawsuits about being a child molester. Doesn't anyone in that party just want to have sex with an adult woman? (laughs) <laughs> and geez. Rick Santorum is not this affiliated with child molesters, and he's Catholic. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, <laughs> but it does explain Mike, Huckabee, Mike Huckabee's <clears throat> campaign slogan, which is, Huckabee, get in my car and help me look for the dog. <laughs>
0: Okay, so there Bill, uh, first name like we're friends, but anyway, Bill, Mr. Marr, was referencing a couple of recent scandals, and actually both of them involve presidential candidate, former Arkansas governor and Bible-thumping evangelical Christian, Mike Huckabee. Now, I have only passing knowledge at best of the show 19 Kids and Counting, I basically abandoned watching TLC when it became a reality show cesspool. It's a shame because there used to be some great programming on there. Maybe they still have some decent historical and scientific documentaries sprinkled in, Uh, but who knows? Anyway, so 19 Kids and Counting is a reality show that focuses on a devout religious couple and their 19 kids, and it recently made its way into the headlines, when it was discovered that one of the older sons, Josh Duggar, uh, had molested a number of underage girls, including uh, some of his own sisters. And I think the youngest victim may have been about four or five. No, I think Josh Duggar was a teenager when he uh, sexually abused his victims, but I'll read a little bit from Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, I know Wikipedia. Joshua James, Josh Duggar, born March 3rd, 1988, is an American television personality known for his appearances on Discovery Health Channel and TLC as part of the reality television show 19 Kids and Counting, which focuses on the life of the Duggar family or Duggar family. Duggar was formerly executive director of FRC Action, the nonprofit political action and lobbying arm of the Family Research Council. Man. Josh is the eldest of Michelle Ruark and Jim Bob Duggar's 19 children. On May 21st, 2015, Duggar resigned his position at the Family Research Council. Well, that's a start. After it became public that during the time he was 14 and 15 years old, he molested five girls, including four of his sisters. The abuse consisted of, ugh, I don't even want to read this crap. It gets a little graphic. Um but basically fondling them while they were asleep and sometimes well awake without their permission. Uh, I left some stuff out there intentionally. According to a police report obtained by In Touch Weekly magazine, on May 22nd, 2015, TLC suspended airing the reality series 19 Kids and Counting. Now, in a way, I kind of feel bad for any family that's dealing with something like this. As others have pointed out, having 19 kids might not be the most responsible thing you can do. I'm sure it's very tough keeping tabs on all your children uh, when that numerous, even if you have help from the older kids. I have friends who have one or two kids, and I can see how much of a responsibility that is, never mind 19. So maybe you could argue that part of the reason for their son's behavior might, and I emphasize might, have to do with the parents' attention being spread too thin, or maybe on the other hand, in fairness, it's one of those things where even if you are the greatest parents and uh, you have a relatively small family, you still might find yourself burdened with the misfortune of having a child who acts in a predatory or abusive way towards your other children. But I think where the Duggars really went wrong is that they sat on it for a long time before reporting it, and also instead of getting the kid real help, they apparently sent him to spend time with a state trooper they knew, who supposedly gave him a talking to or whatever. Well, turns out that the state trooper has been in trouble himself with the law multiple times for child pornography. So I don't know... What the hell is going on with that family? And the big whammy is supposedly uh, Jim Bob, or whatever his name, uh, the father, the patriarch of the family, came out and publicly said in the past uh, that he believes people who commit incest should be killed. And obviously, as ugly as it is to uh, talk about, I guess technically you could say his son committed incest in a way when he forced himself on his younger siblings. Would he want to kill his own son? But I'll read a little bit from an article, and this is from KRQE News 13. I'm not sure if this was a local news site or something like that. But I believe uh, Jim Bob Duggar said all this. uh, I think it might have been back in 2002 when he was running for some kind of office. But I'll read a little bit. Jim Bob Duggar ran on a platform that incest and rape should be punishable by death. A storm of controversy has rocked the Duggar family, stars of the TLC hit show 19 Kids and Counting, after a 2006 police report was leaked last week. I'm trying to get the date on this. This article is dated May 27th this year. But anyway, it was leaked last week that accused a member of the Duggar family of molesting at least five young girls, possibly including his sisters. Details surrounding the Duggar family continue to emerge, feeding critics of the family and the quiverful movement. What? (laughs) Feeding critics of the family and the quiverful movement of the Christian faith to which the family belongs. Josh Duggar, the oldest of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar's 19 children, reportedly was accused of molesting several underage girls, but was not properly turned into the authorities. By the time a police report was filed in 2006, the statute of limitations on the alleged actions reportedly occurring in 2002 and 2003 had passed. Many commenters have criticized the Duggars for how they handled the alleged situation, saying the parents supported and protected their son to the detriment of the victims. All while coming up short to seek the proper therapy or to uh, help both parties. Others, however, have stood by the Duggars, including Republican presidential hopeful Mike Huckabee and Jessa Duggar's uh, father-in-law Michael Seewald, who said Jim Bob and Michelle Duggars a- and Michelle Duggar acted in a way godly parents should. Yeah, sure. New details, first reported by Gawker's media defamer. <laughs> continue to call Jim Bob Duggar's actions into question. According to DeFamer's report, Jim Bob Duggar while campaigning for while campaigning for US Senate in two thousand two in Arkansas, ran on a platform that rape and incest should be treated as capital offenses, calling for the death penalty. Now as horrible or barbaric as it might sound to some of the more enlightened of you out there, I've said uh many times, uh possibly not on the show, I think, that I think rape in certain cases should possibly be punishable by death. Like, let's say you knew with 100% certainty that some guy dragged a woman into a parking garage and violated her against uh, her will, or some person violently raped a child or something. Man, is this episode a downer. Um... I'm not such a lib that I'd say killing him would bring us down to his level. I wouldn't shed any tears for him. Uh, Incest, on the other hand, as creepy as it may be, uh, if, let's say, an adult sister and brother want to have a sexual relationship and they're consenting adults, we might find it off-putting, but other than puritanical religious reasons, why the hell should they be put to death? Putting two adult people to death for a consenting relationship sounds grossly barbaric to me. But the tie-in, as I think that article alluded to, is that Huckabee is a friend of the uh, Duggar family, and he said something recently like, if you're cheering for the downfall of the Duggars, you're a bad person. And there might be a grain of truth in there. I think most of us, myself included, experience what the Germans call schadenfreude or schadenfreude, basically taking joy in another's misery or or misfortune. But on the other hand, uh, screw you, Mike Huckabee. What's a bad person is molesting children and running on a platform that incest should be punishable by death, Uh, having 19 children when you apparently can't properly take care of them all and monitor what they're doing to one another. Uh, We don't need your holier-than-thou preachments, Reverend Huckabee. Uh, I've often described him as a kind of evil Mr. Rogers. He's all sweetness and light on the outside, but if you listen to him, he spews the same old hateful, hypocritical, neocon BS. As for the other story, even more recently it was discovered that Huckabee's co-author was also accused of child molestation. And I'll read a a bit of a story from Radar Online. Here we go, and this is dated June 13th, 2015. More molesters, question mark. Co-author of Mike Huckabee books accused of child molestation, questionable friends. Mike Huckabee is an outspoken conservative and a presidential hopeful, but he just can't seem to stop associating with suspected confirmed child molesters. According to reports, John Perry, co-author of two books with Huckabee, was accused of molesting children. This after Huckabee spoke out in defense of child molester Josh Duggar. Perry co-wrote character is the issue in Do the Right Thing, ironically uh, entitled, Inside the Movement That's Bringing Common Sense Back to America with Huckabee. But despite what those titles suggest, it would appear that Perry did not do the right thing when it came to at least one young child. After a 2012 police investigation, a Nashville police spokesperson said in a statement to BuzzFeed, the alleged sexual battery was reported to have occurred when the victim was between the ages of 11 and 14. As a result of the investigation, the allegations of sexual battery were sustained, but was determined that the statute of limitations had told, barring prosecution. The victim was age 18 when she first disclosed the allegations to non-law enforcement and said at that time she did not want the matter reported to the Tennessee Department of Children's Services or the police. As the result of the alleged child molestation, Perry's former church has become subject to allegations of covering up the scandal, allegations that the victim has denied. The victim did confirm what was recorded in church minutes, that Perry had been excommunicated from the church for his conduct. According to those records, Perry has confessed to committing heinous and repetitive sins and has not shown evidence of repentance. Wow. Another consequence of the alleged molestation was Perry's divorce. According to sworn affidavits, Perry's wife filed for divorce as a result of Mr. Perry's inappropriate marital conduct, to which he admitted to, in his response to the interrogatories, numbers 1 and 2, inappropriate marital conduct is reportedly the code they used for his alleged child molestation. And uh, maybe... You guys might be asking why I'm talking about all these child abuse stories on a show that is supposed to be about atheism, agnosticism, uh, applying critical thinking to religion and its supernatural claims, etc. Well, uh, these, uh, I think, are important stories because they point out that religious people don't have a monopoly on morality. And unfortunately, they often seem to display some horrific examples of, uh, hypocrisy, in fact, as far as uh, morality is concerned. So, you know, uh, Mike Huckabee is a Bible thumper. The Duggars are Bible thumpers. So I know it's disturbing material to, to discuss, but I think these are kind of prime examples of religious hypocrisy, or at least as I said, uh, prime examples of the fact that no matter how they might chide us for being non-believers, religious people do not have a monopoly on moral behavior. And Huckabee wants to be president, people. So look at him. This is the guy he is. This is the company he keeps. Uh, Hopefully that's food for thought you know, is this a guy you would want in the White House? But since most of my listeners are probably fellow non-believers, I'm probably kind of preaching to the choir here, no pun intended. Is it kind of a low blow to characterize him by the company he keeps? Uh, Maybe, maybe not, but there's lots of other stuff to dislike about Huckabee too. Uh, But anyway, enough about him. Well, this might be a weird point in the show for this, uh, but I think I'll quickly take care of some shout-outs. I'd like to thank Jim Wright, coordinator for Detroit Coalition of Reason and Secular Coalition for America, Michigan chapter, for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. Hope he doesn't mind me mentioning his creds. Um, I'd also like to thank friend of the show, The Mad Humanist, for adding the Weekend Out to a list of podcasts on Twitter. If you haven't checked out the Mad Humanist podcast yet, please do. Uh, Let's see. I'd like to thank Kev the Infidel, who hosts a uh, free thought blog, not to be confused with the free thought blogs, thankfully. Uh, But I'd like to thank him for giving me and the show a shout out and rallying his Twitter followers, asking them to follow the show on Twitter. Uh, I think it worked to a degree. I did notice a significant bump in followers this uh, past week. And if you want to check out uh, Kev's forum, it's atheismdebate.freeforums.net. Let's see. I'd also like to thank Russ Ray, Good Saint Crocoduck, and those others who wish to remain anonymous for their continued online camaraderie. I really do think of you guys as friends. Um... And that includes you, uh, Mad Humanist. Even though it's not like we'll be changing each other's tires or anything anytime soon. Most of you guys are uh, on other continents, which might make it difficult. Um, But I do appreciate it. And I think one way we can define friendship is is simply someone that we can talk to who offers us a, a sense of solace, or as I said, camaraderie. And I think sometimes even people you've never physically met, especially now, the the way we're all connected by the web, can still fit that bill. But enough about that. Let's not get all mushy. And while I'm at it, why don't I do a few quick Twitter shoutouts? Haven't done that in forever. I'll just arbitrarily pick three. Let's see. Gods, gods, and more gods. At TheDoubleDown. Organized religions of all kinds and throughout all time have done nothing but produce war. Uh, I'm just glad they followed me, so I'm not going to get all analytical about their tagline. But I appreciate the spirit of it. And their profile pick was a a, a Yorkie, a Yorkshire Terrier. And I had a Yorkshire Terrier growing up, and it lived to be almost 20 years old. And a great dog, and unfortunately, I'm the one who had to bring it to the vet to be put down when it finally couldn't get out of bed one morning at the ripe old age of somewhere between 19 and 20. Uh, Let's see. Next, it's a help, it's a cult. At help, it's a cult. I know a cult leader, but hey, who doesn't? Silence is consent, it says. Hmm, I'm not sure what that means. But I think their profile pick was a giant Kool-Aid man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's supposed to be like a, Jones- a Jonestown uh, reference. And then we have the anti-theist at the infidel. I dream of a world without religion, injustice, hunger, misery, and poverty. My personal heroes and saviors of, of humankind, scientists, will get us, and then dot, dot, dot. I don't know where the rest of his tagline went, but uh, I'm with you, brother, all right. Well, while I'm at it, I suppose I might as well read some YouTube responses to last week's episode. Hopefully, they won't take us too far down the Gamergate rabbit hole again. Let's see. And just to put these comments in context, as I said, this is to last week's episode, episode 152, Am I Sexist? Uh, But I'll start off with Sidelore the Blade. I didn't listen to your last video as the whole Gamergate thing is such a waste of time. Yes, it is. And I even hate saying the word, me too, as I don't think many people even understand where the gate suffix came from. Well, that would of course be uh, Watergate. But after listening to this video, I definitely don't think you are sexist. Well, thank you, man. I mean, I don't think I am either. I basically fit the dictionary definition of a feminist. But anyway, the uh, person continues. One of the issues I see you kind of touch on is how women equate any sort of sexualization of women as subjugation or diminishing of their value, i.e., if a wo- if women, or uh, if a woman, I, th- I think they mean, is depicted as sexy, then she is only there for eye candy and has no other value. In gaming, that is sometimes true, but is also not the case in other situations, as you point out too often in these arguments, it is a gay strip situation. Okay. I don't know what that means, Uh, but I shall continue and keep my eye out for context clues. Misunderstanding and then retribution. One side gets angry and says stupid things, then the other side reacts, which causes a further reaction. It's my thought that this is more of an internet issue than anything else. The anonymity allows a lot of vitriol and that puts up the backs of everyone that sees it. And then I responded, hi, thank you for watching the video and for your thoughtful comments. I think you make a lot of good points, especially regarding the problem of anonymity bringing out the worst in people. So far, I've been pretty lucky. Most of the commenters on my videos like you have been fair and civil, strange for YouTube. And then I did the old, Colon capital P tongue out emoticon, and I gave him a a, a like to his comment a like that is okay. So now we might be getting into a whole new topic. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, and, and to put things into context, uh, this person is going to bring up circumcision. <laughs> And uh, they're bringing it up because I had said that I won't really be covering gender issues anymore unless they're directly related to news store. Unless they're directly related to, say, like uh, religious news stories or religious topics that have to do with the uh, oppression of women, maybe like uh, female genital mutilation or uh, something like that. And I think they were a little put off that I mentioned female genital mutilation, but I didn't mention male circumcision, but I'll read what they said. Why did you single out female genital mutilation? Why not all genital mutilation? Perhaps you don't believe male infant circumcision, constitutes genital mutilation. If so, I would advise you look up a man named Doctor Kellogg. He is one of the men most responsible for standard for standardizing the practice throughout the Western world. Take a look of at the, take a look at some they say if I think they meant of his writings, and we will see if your opinions change. And it continues, but I'll pause for a minute. And Dr. Kellogg, and, and uh, I'm not a violent person, but uh, I wish I could go back in time and maybe punch him in the face. <laughs> he, he is He's the serial guy, Kellogg. Uh, I'm not kidding you. And, and if this all sounds too weird to believe, look it up for yourselves. Um, he's one of these moral crusaders, one of these real religious guys. And uh, back in the day... Uh, you know, in the Victorian era and and maybe into, you know, the early 20th century or whatever, there was a lot of obsession uh, over uh, sexuality and, and how to tamp it down or whatever. And um, I forget the exact term, but there was something, uh, it's some kind of like erotic excitement or something like that. But they thought this was a real problem. You know, you should... Tamp down um, sexual excitement whenever you can. And this, I mean, supposedly, um, I don't know if this is an old wives' tale. I've heard it from reputable sources and documentaries and things a couple of times, that supposedly in the Victorian era, one of the reasons they would have like low-hanging tablecloths was to cover up the curvy legs of furniture, like tables, etc. so uh, men wouldn't be turned on. Uh, I am not kidding you. Once again, look this stuff up. But supposedly, I think Dr. Kellogg was a main proponent of male circumcision and thought that it would cut down on male sexual excitement or something like that. And if if you think about it, I think for most of history, circumcision was a religious thing. We know that Jews looked at circumcision as a sign of the, of the uh, covenant between man and God, between Abraham and God, and uh, there were other ancient cultures that also practiced uh, circumcision. And then in the modern U.S., the practice of circumcision for non-religious reasons became popularized for supposed medical and hygiene reasons. If you think about it in context, it is pretty weird that you have all these people of, of white European descent or all these people uh, of non-Jewish descent um, you know, having their male infants uh, circumcised here in, in the States. Uh, I think the percentage of male circumcisions is far less, is far lower in uh, Europe than it is uh, here in the States. But I'll continue reading their comments here. By the way, he also promoted female circumcision, though he favored an alternative method which involved the use of carbolic acid. That sounds absolutely horrible. Um, and just as an aside, the tasty breakfast cereals he invented were actually developed as an attempt to cure chronic masturbation. Oh, and I think, that, I think that was one of the reasons uh, for circumcision, too. As I said, it was to kind of an attempt to curb like male sexual excitement and an attempt to um, deter men from uh, masturbating. Um, that and he never had sex with his wife because he believed that both sex and masturbation were bad for your health. This notion was the motivation behind everything he did. The man was a bit insane, if you can't tell. Ironically, he actually worked at an asylum to be close to quote-unquote chronic masturbators so he could use them as test subjects. And then I replied, hey, thanks for the reply. The only reason I focused on female genital mutilation is I was trying to make a point that I wouldn't be discussing gender issues in the future unless they had a religious tie-in. And then I proceeded to give a couple of examples on the fly. But you're right, male circumcision is an important issue, too. I've never mentioned this publicly, but I was circumcised as a young adult, so I know what it's like on both sides of the fence, so to speak. There's obviously an evolutionary reason for the foreskin, and and removing it is a very serious decision that people shouldn't take lightly. And so there I just admitted to you guys that uh, uh, that I had been circumcised as a young adult. And one thing I want to mention, because people will always leap on you if, if you don't offer this caveat, and it's that, I understand that in most cases, female circumcision is far worse than male circumcision, and it often involves the removal of the clitoris, I believe. And in some cases, I think often among Muslim cultures that practice FGM. And in fairness, I believe there are other African nations where it's practiced that aren't necessarily Muslim, but they actually remove a great deal of the outside of the vagina, including often the clitoris, and then they sew it all up and leave the woman with basically a small, painful opening. So I do realize the seriousness of female genital mutilation, and and that's why I brought it up that if I was going to talk about women's issues in the future, that might be an example because it's so horrible and barbaric, one of the things I might speak about. And of course, one of my favorite people, Ian hersiel Lee, a great spokesperson for both atheism and women's rights, uh, was herself subjected to a female genital mutilation. But now I'm going to go down a road that perhaps I shouldn't, but you guys have probably learned by now that I have a, um, I don't know if we'd call call it an exhibitionist streak, but there's a part of me that likes talking about weird stories from my past, even when they happen to be quite embarrassing i tend to have a penchant for oversharing and i get kind of a thrill out of it for some reason i don't know why but uh, apparently um but if you're wondering why did i get circumcised as a young male well what happened well okay i'm one of four children and i come from kind of an old school catholic family in a sense both my grandfathers were pure italian One's people were from northern Italy, Parma. One's people were from southern Italy. Some family members say Calabria. Uh, Some people, I forget the name of it, some people say it might have been a different part of southern Italy. And I had an Irish grandmother, and I had another grandmother that I think uh, was something like French-Canadian and English or something like that. But Uh, I'm mostly, uh, I'm more Italian genetically than anything, and uh, as far as I know, I've never taken one of those, like, cheek swab tests, and and growing up, I identified mostly as uh, Italian-American too. As I said, both my grandfathers were pure Italian, Um, but anyway, I had kind of an old-school Catholic upbringing. My parents didn't really talk about sex or anatomy or anything like that. Uh, I used to have to hide uh, like my sexy posters and stuff beneath my bureaus. I remember buying like a Samantha Fox poster from Newberry Comics. I had to hide it underneath my bureau. Uh, I had an uncle who worked for Sony, and one time he brought all the male kids in the family, uh, me, my brothers, uh my cousins uh he brought us posters and this is back in the day i was just a little kid of uh like a hot 80s girl with the teased hair sprayed hair and everything uh like crouched down on roller skates and listening to a walkman and my mother would have none of it um you couldn't hang stuff like that on the wall but anyway so um i believe my oldest brother wasn't circumcised my second oldest they're probably so happy that i mentioned this stuff on the air my second oldest brother was and my parents say that his screams were so loud disturbing so kind of heart-wrenching or whatever that they swore that if they had another male child they wouldn't circumcise they wouldn't circumcise him And I'm kind of the baby of the family. There's like an almost 10-year difference between my sister and I, who's the oldest out of all of us. So then, like when my parents were in their 30s or whatever, early 30s, something like that, or maybe 30, uh, I came along. And, uh, yeah, they might have been in between like 29 and 30 or early 30s or something. I came along and they decided not to circumcise me. So I was kind of a weird kid. I was like... um, I had untreated asthma and allergies. So I I was kind of like sickly and lethargic. And I didn't really go in for sports. So like when other kids were bonding through sports at a young age, I would have rather, you know, just spent time living inside my own head, thinking, doodling, drawing, stuff like that, and uh, daydreaming or whatever. And luckily for me, my lack of a athletic acumen or whatever, wasn't really ever held against. Well, would would be during gym class if I, like, kicked the ball into the wrong net or something. Believe me, people weren't happy about it. But people seemed to, to like me uh, otherwise. I had friends from all different cliques. Um, I think people thought I was eccentric in, like, a good way. So people generally from all the different social groups or cliques seemed to dig me. Uh, so usually even though it was a big issue for me i didn't like the fact that i sucked at sports it didn't seem to be too much too big of an issue for uh other people but um i can remember being a little kid tagging along with the older kids in the neighborhood who were maybe a few years older than me and so i'm talking really little i'm talking about like young elementary school age or something like that probably and uh And, you know, kids do stupid stuff when they're young. Uh, They'll, like, pee together behind sheds or they'll flash each other while they're swimming. Just stupid stuff like that. And I remember I I was kind of like a shy kid, so I never wanted to do that stuff. But older kids uh, once or twice goaded me into, uh, you know, flashing or peeing behind a shed or something like that when everyone else was. And they looked at me like I was an alien, like, why does he have this weird, like, little elephant trunk or skin at the end of his thing, you know? And uh, and I could get to some other stories. I remember, some, I, I, I've kind of, it's weird, I'm really pro-LGBT rights, but just as a matter of fact, I happen to know that me personally... I knew from a very early age that I liked girls. First, I liked women, you know, because the girls my age, uh, there was that whole, you know, you go through that cootie stage or whatever. Then you start to notice older women. Like, uh, I, I usually bring up, like, uh, Suzanne Summers from Old Three's Company reruns or Chitara from the Thundercats. You know, I noticed, and then I started to notice the curves of my uh, female teachers and things like that. And then shortly after, you know, I started to notice uh, girls my own age and stuff. But I knew from a young age that I liked uh, females. and uh, But I can remember, the, you know, the same kids that would try to get me the Flash and stuff would do some strange stuff. With each other. And I remember calling them on it when we were like a few years older and they denied it. I have some weird memories of people kind of experimenting or whatever, shall we say, but I'm definitely not going to throw anyone under the bus or name names. But anyway, so at a very young age, I'm talking like elementary school age, it was put into my head that I was different. I really I mean I didn't literally think I was a space alien, but I thought but I felt like a space alien. I felt like a space alien cuz I thought my body was different and also cuz I was kind of weird and unique and didn't really care about sports and stuff like that. And uh I can remember even when I was in middle school and we had to take health class, the diagrams um they would show us of like you know, the male and female sex organs, the male organ looked circumcised. They showed the glands, but they never showed the foreskin. So that further ingrained this sense in me that I was different. And uh, there's this kind of funny anecdote where when I was like 13, I just had enough, right? I mean, uh, and, and so my parents were both sitting in the living room and I didn't know that one of my older brothers was at the top of the stairs. So I go to my parents and it took like all the courage I could muster. And I just said to them, I said, am I deformed? <laughs> and they both looked at me like, what? And I'm like, my penis, am I deformed? The skin on the end of it, you know? And then they told me, oh, well, there's two different types of penises and... One has skin, or you know, foreskin. One, then, blah, 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 So then I learned, intellectually, factually, that I wasn't deformed. I wasn't a freak. I wasn't a space alien. You know, but it was kind of too late. I was still self-conscious about it, and so now I'm really getting the personal st- stuff. So when I had like my first sexual experiences, uh, well. I was going to say at 13, but there was one thing with an older girl in the neighborhood when I was younger, but I won't get into that. But uh, when I was like around 13, I first started to have girlfriends and I first started to mess around. I always wanted like the lights to be off or I'd let them touch me, but I didn't want them to see me. And so I was just really still shy and self-conscious about it. So when I was like 19 or 20, I remember I was working this crappy retail job and I I decided to take a two week vacation and like my friends at the job and everything wanted to know and my bosses, you know, what I was going to do with my vacation. I was just kind of aloof about it. And I try to change the subject, but I got a circumcision and, um, so I was like 19 or 20, you know, they put me under, I woke up had a like a bandage around my penis with uh some kind of i don't know if it was like bacitracin or some kind of gel like you know medicinal stuff and uh um now this is where stuff gets really wild so why am i saying this why am i telling this i hope i don't offend any of you guys hopefully the only person i'm embarrassing is myself but you know how I, now I don't remember really feeling any pain, but I've had a few surgeries in my life. And generally speaking, I know that usually when you have surgery and you come to, you are so groggy and messed up from the anesthesia and just so confused and out of it that you usually don't really notice the pain or the specific aches and and stuff and the discomfort until, you know, I don't know what, maybe the second day or or whatever. But uh, so I went to sleep that night. And you guys probably know what tends to happen to guys in the morning. A certain part of the anatomy becomes more engorged than the rest. (laughs) uh, I woke up and I literally busted a stitch. I broke a stitch and I was all panicked. And I called, uh, it was at uh, the weekend. So I had to call the hospital on the weekend and they're like, but all the other stitches are still closed. I'm like, yeah. Oh, well you probably don't need to worry about it. Just put some like bassa or whatever it is on it. And, uh, so that's the story. So if you ever want, I- I'm someone maybe, I don't know if, how rare we are, but I'm someone that knows what it's like before and after on both sides of the fence. um, And on a side note, and hopefully you guys won't start calling me this, but over the last couple of years, I've kind of formed a friendship with a female friend of mine. She got married not that long ago. And I've formed kind of a friendship with her husband, too. And her husband's kind of like this big kind of tough guy. Um, And I think we were drinking one time, and I told him the story. And henceforth, he's taken to addressing me as stitch. Yes, Stitch has become his nickname for me. I bet you guys didn't expect that story, did you? But uh, let's see. Now I'm just going to go back to the YouTube comments like nothing ever happened. And uh, Someone named Marpser, 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 M-A-R-P-S-R he says, been a long time since I watched Northern Exposure. Great show. And that's because I mentioned my love of the TV show on Northern Exposure on the last episode. And I replied, thanks for watching the vid and glad to meet a fellow Northern Exposure fan, Smiley Face Emoticon. And he replies, likewise, keep up the good work, exclamation point. I love it when people, and I'm not being sarcastic, I really mean it. I love it when people encourage me and tell me I'm doing a good job with the show, and let me know how they feel. And then there's someone named D. Will Game, and he's commenting on this kind of mellow rant I went on uh, about losing a uh, listener. The first sentence of the comment starts with an F-bomb, so I guess I'll just kind of edit that first sentence a bit real friends don't have to agree on everything, and the fact she ended all contact with you because of two videos means she really wasn't that good of a friend to begin with. And I replied, hey, thank you for taking the time to comment and for sharing the video. And there's a feature where you can share videos on YouTube, and uh, generously he did that with the uh, video in question, so I appreciate that you're spot on that real friend should be free to disagree. And I almost didn't read that one because I don't know if the person who said they weren't going to listen to the show anymore or that listening to the show would be difficult for them because of, I don't know what the heck it was, my view about how there's nothing wrong with sexy looking video game characters. I don't know. But they thought our views on feminism were too disparate for them to uh, be able to be able to comfortably continue listening to the show, even though, as I said earlier, I'm essentially, I don't walk around calling myself a feminist. I believe in equal rights for everyone. But I would say I fit the dictionary definition of a feminist, and I'm very sensitive about women's rights and things like that. Um, but in fairness to her, maybe she didn't consider me a friend. I mean, I don't know what else you call it. For months now, I don't know if it's half a year or whatever it is, on a regular basis, this person was getting in touch with me, engaging in conversations with me, encouraging my work with the podcast, and then they don't like something that I said or something about my point of view on feminism during the last couple of episodes, and they pull the plug on on uh, Facebook, you know, they unlike the Facebook page for the show, or I don't know, maybe they pulled the plug on their account. And they also seemed to unfriend me uh, on my personal Facebook page after they went out of the way to request me as a friend on Facebook. But who knows? Maybe they just looked at me as just another podcaster or something, and maybe they got a little thrill out of interacting with the host of one of the shows they listen to, but they didn't consider me a quote-unquote friend. But like I said earlier, I think a friend is someone you could talk to. Someone you can you know confide in, someone who gives you a sense of camaraderie. And I think that's an apt description of the kind of online relationship we had. It felt like a friendship to me, but why am I talking about this again? And I don't know if they're listening or not. If you're listening, <laughs> don't feel bad. and uh, and actually, you know any if you ever want to start listening to the show again, if you ever want to come back to Facebook and uh, like uh, the Weekend Out Facebook page again or uh, make a personal friend request again, we can pick up where we left off. Uh, I'd be more than happy uh, to continue our friendship or whatever. Uh, so my the point of me bringing this stuff up isn't to make you feel bad. I'm just venting a little. But that's it for the YouTube comments. Okay, so there was another story I really wanted to talk about, and it involves Al Jazeera. Now, if you're not familiar, Al Jazeera is a Middle Eastern news or a broadcasting company. And it's funny, uh, some of you may remember how a few years back, maybe, I don't know, the way time flies, Al Gore started his own TV network called Current. And for a while, the Young Turks had a show on there. It was kind of nice as a TYT fan. Uh, You know, come 7 o'clock at night, you can flip on the TV and watch the Young Turks again after having, you know, watched their videos or uh, listened to their podcast uh, earlier in the day. But uh, eventually the channel got bought out by Al Jazeera, and they dubbed the station Al Jazeera America. Most of the pre-existing programming, including the Young Turks, got the axe. But recently Al Jazeera started a YouTube channel called AJ+. Plus, and they're now partnering with the young Turks. And this past week, I discovered a somewhat disturbing video on their channel, AJ+, Plus, not a TYT. And I should say it definitely seems like they're trying to cater to a younger audience, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, they've given it this catchy little name, AJ+. Plus. Most of the hosts are presenters. Uh, at least judging by looks, look like they're probably no older than their early 30s. And there was this one female presenter or host who was really smart and funny and uh, not bad on the eyes. Am I allowed to say that? And, uh, but the, the presenters are these kind of youthful and charismatic people. But what I found troubling about the video in question And this one was presented by a young guy with a goatee, probably of Middle Eastern descent, was that they announced a policy that Al Jazeera will not be using the word terrorist. They say it's too loaded and that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. But why don't I let you listen to it and keep in mind, since this is audio only, that they'll give three examples of terrorists. They basically flash images on the screen. And the last one they show is kind of like this gotcha thing is Timothy McVeigh, a white guy. So just keep in mind when they say, and this guy, (laughs) they're, they're showing a picture of Timothy McVeigh, all right.
2: We're gonna do something we hardly ever do at AJ Plus. Use the T word. It's our policy not to use the terms terrorist or terrorism to label a person, group or action. We don't use them for this guy, or for this group, or even for this dude. Why not? Because the term is loaded. The radical Muslim terrorist hell-bent on killing us. After all, One person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter, even though you might disagree. A lot of media outlets aren't consistent in the way they use the word terrorist. A Muslim gunman? Immediately labeled a terrorist. But a white guy who flies a plane into a government building? Was it terror or just anger? And some people love to overuse it. Now Mr. Obama is playing terrorist whack-a-mole.
1: To pal around with terrorists. Is
2: Hamas a terrorist organization? We don't try to answer that question. Instead, we describe the person or group's actions and let you guys make your own conclusions. Like when we covered the Charlie Hebdo attacks, we described them this way. Gunmen stormed the office of satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo, reportedly opening fire on an editorial meeting and saying the Prophet Muhammad had been avenged. And even though the U.S. government calls Hamas a terrorist, organization, we described in this way. Hamas is a Palestinian political movement with an armed wing called the Izzeddin Al-Qassam Brigades. Wordy, perhaps, but accurate. The general meaning of terrorism has changed over the last century. It once referred to revolutionary movements and then repressive governments. But today, there's actually no universal definition of terrorism, and the UN has been working on it for over 20 years. The US Department of Defense does have a definition, though. They say terrorism is. The unlawful use of violence or threat of violence, often motivated by religious, political, or other ideological beliefs to instill fear and coerce governments or societies in pursuit of goals that are usually political. That's not broad at all. Oh, and the State Department and FBI? They have other definitions. We've decided not to use these labels, and we're not alone. Reuters has also banned these terms, and the BBC avoids them when they can. As with every rule, there is one exception. You might hear us use the T-word when we attribute it to someone else, like when Lupe Fiasco says this, My fight against terrorism, to me, the biggest terrorist is Obama. You bet we'll cover it. Words have a lot of meaning, and we want to make sure that we're getting it right. So how are we doing? Let us know.
0: All right, so there it is. Now, the argument about isn't one man's terrorist, another man's freedom fighter seems very thin to me, and it smacks of intellectual dishonesty. There's a certain, perhaps, uh, grain of truth in it, in the sense that if you have a nation with a corrupt government that's engulfed in chaos and military strife, and you have rebels storming buildings, etc., then maybe, yeah, who's a terrorist and who's a freedom fighter might be up for debate. But armed people entering an office and slaughtering people because they don't like the cartoons they're drawing, that's terrorism. Taking defenseless hostages and sawing their heads off, that's terrorism. And what point are they trying to prove with McVeigh? I consider McVeigh a domestic terrorist. I consider abortion clinic bombers terrorists. Everyone called IRA bombings acts of terrorism. So the word terrorist isn't some Muslim smear, at least not for me. It's an accurate description of people who perpetrate heinous acts against civilians in the hope of frightening or demoralizing the other side. And I don't care what the ethnicity or religion of the perpetrator is. Does it happen to be that the majority of terrorist acts in the news today seem to be committed by Muslim extremists? Yes, and well too bad, that just seems to be the case. It doesn't mean I think all Muslims are terrorists, of course not. And I do feel bad that decent non-violent Muslims are possibly being stigmatized by the actions of a radical minority. But this PC stuff is just ridiculous. Terrorist is an accurate descriptor for the people who commit these types of barbarous acts. And I don't think they're doing anyone any favors by trying to whitewash their vocabulary. There's almost something creepily Orwellian about it. But you guys heard the clip, so you can decide for yourselves. But I think with that being said, I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. It helps spread uh, the word about the show. And also, it it kind of uh, strokes my ego, I guess. Uh, Also, you can follow the show on Twitter. Uh, You can rate the show or subscribe through iTunes. You can listen through Stitcher. You can go to Podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and check out the archives going all the way back to episode one. I'm still not sure why uh, not all the past episodes show up in the iTunes stream. I'll have to look into that. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can donate as little as 99 cents by using the PayPal widget at the bottom of the official Weekend Out Podbean page. And you can also uh, become a patron through uh, Patreon. And I'm too lazy to look for the link, but just go to uh, Patreon and look for The Week in Doubt or for Phil or Philip Albertelli. I always thought it was slash uh, Patreon slash The Week in Doubt. I I thought that's what it was. Uh, But anyway, I think that covers everything. And uh, as always, thanks for listening.